Chapter Eleven, Part Two of the Making of a Nation. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Making of a Nation: The Beginnings of Israel's History by Charles Foster Kent. Chapter Eleven, Part Two: The Significance of the East Jordan Conquests. Desert dwellers take little account of the lapse of time. It is not strange that the data regarding the duration of the sojourn in the wilderness are late and exceedingly vague. The number forty in the Bible is the concrete Hebrew equivalent of many. Ordinarily, the forty years represent a generation. A period of about forty years accords well with the facts of contemporary Egyptian chronology. If the Hebrews fled from Egypt about 1200, during the period of anarchy following the breakdown of the 19th Egyptian dynasty, they could not have entered Palestine much before the middle of the 12th century. For Ramses III of the 20th dynasty succeeded in re-establishing and maintaining his authority in southern Palestine until his death, about 1167 B.C. The Account of the Spies preserved according to some writers in variant versions by each of the great groups of hebrew narratives indicates that the hebrews attempted but failed to enter canaan from the south for tribesmen like the israelites chafing under their harsh environment and recalling the prosperity of the land of egypt palestine with its green hills and fertile fields was an irresistible lodestone luring them on to the conquest the reasons why they failed to enter canaan from the south are suggested in the narrative of the spies and confirmed by a study of the historical geographical situation the canaanite cities of southern palestine were built largely with the view to protecting their inhabitants from the ever-lurking nomad invaders on the other hand the hebrews had none of the equipment needed to conquer walled cities more than that the barren hills of the south country did not furnish the base of supplies necessary to maintain a protracted siege the early hebrew narratives imply that certain nomadic tribes as for example the calebites the kenizzites and the jehermelites independently gained a foothold on the southern borders of canaan and ultimately assimilated with the hebrew tribe of judah when the latter entered palestine the earliest hebrew accounts however as well as the logic of the situation indicate that the great body of the israelites whose ancestors had been in the land of egypt entered palestine from the east throughout all its history the east jordan land has witnessed the constant transition of arab tribes from the nomadic life of the desert to the more settled civilization of agricultural palestine here on the eastern heights that overlook the jordan valley and the land of canaan the traveller still finds the arab tents and flocks of the nomads beside the ploughed fields of the village dwellers on the rolling plains of northern moab and southern gilead there are few commanding heights or natural fortresses the important towns like dibon and heshbon lay on slightly rising hills the character of the ruins today does not indicate that they were ever surrounded by formidable walls whether the hebrews conquered them by open attack or by strategy as in the case of the town of ai is not stated it is certain however that here they first gained a permanent foothold in agricultural palestine from the conquered they here learned their initial lessons 
in the arts of agriculture and became acquainted with that more advanced canaanite civilization which they later absorbed coming fresh from the desert where only the fittest survived their numbers rapidly increased in this quieter and more favorable environment soon to the constant pressure of the desert population on the east was added that of overpopulation so that necessity as well as ambition impelled them to cross the jordan to seek homes among the hills to the west the significance of moses's work the study of the beginnings of israel's history in the light of its physical social and economic environment reveals clearly the many powerful forces then at work at the same time these do not alone explain israel's later history and the uniqueness of its character and faith these later facts plainly point back to a strong commanding personality who shaped the ideals and institutions of this early people and left upon them the imperishable imprint of his own unique individuality although the traditions regarding him have been transmitted for centuries from mouth to mouth they portray the character and work of moses with remarkable clarity and impressiveness moses was primarily a patriot he was also a prophet statesman able to grasp and interpret the significance of the great crises in the life of his people and to suggest practical solutions moreover he was able to inspire confidence and to lead as well as direct in the harsh environment of the wilderness he was able to adjust himself to most difficult conditions in leading the hebrew serfs from the land of egypt he became indeed the creator of the future hebrew nation in the wilderness he trained that child nation as judge and counsellor he taught concretely the broad principles which became the foundation of later hebrew law as guardian of the oracle and priest of the desert sanctuary moses like the later prophet of islam but with far greater spiritual power and deeper insight taught his people not only the art of worship but certain of the great essentials of religion he it was who formulated in a positive faith the wholesome reaction which he and his kinsmen felt against the gross polytheism of egypt the inspiration of all of moses's work was his own personal faith the first great vision of jehovah's character and purpose that he had received in the land of midian was doubtless often renewed amidst the same wild impressive scenes the exact nature of the deeper more personal side of his character and faith must be inferred from the close analogies that may be drawn from the memoirs of isaiah or jeremiah at the same time it is a mistake to infer that moses's beliefs were as lofty as those of the later prophets who stood in the light of a larger experience on the other hand it is not just to disregard the fact that moses being a prophet was far in advance of the primitive age in which he lived not only did moses create the hebrew nation and teach it its first lessons in practical politics and religion but he it was who first instilled into his race commanding loyalty to the one god jehovah and taught that religion was more than form that it meant right thinking and doing thus moses was the forerunner of israel's later prophets who broke away from the narrow heathen interpretation of religion and defined it in terms of life and service the early stages in the training of the human race it is interesting and important to note that israel's history was in most respects like that of other growing nations in the beginning pastoral society and tribal government develop among savages primarily through the domestication of animals 
The young of the animals slain in the hunt are kept first as pets. Then, when as a result of the thriftless nature of the savages' supplies at times become scarce, the pets are slain for food. As pets become more common and population increases, the advantage of breeding for use is apparent, and private property, in distinction from community possessions, appears. The growing herds naturally develop the need of regular service. To meet this need, the institutions of permanent marriage and bondage arise, and the wife or wives and the slaves perform the added work. With the custom of fixed marriage and the possibility of tracing ancestry through the father comes in time ancestral government. The Hebrews seem to have had this type of government even in the days of Abraham, and it lasted until the tribes broke up into clans and families, when they acquired permanent homes and became agriculturalists in the land of Canaan. Many of the characteristics of the tribe disappear almost entirely, as wandering nomads settle in a fixed abode, and the patriarchal rule changes to that of a royal or democratic government. Customs become fixed in formal statutes. Property in land becomes more important than that in herds. War becomes the business of a special army, instead of the frequent duty of all. But in the tribe there is little competition. All work for the community or for the family, rather than for individual interests. Each man is primarily responsible, not to the state, but to the head of his family or clan, who in turn answers for his family to the tribal chief. Certain of these tribal institutions and ideals have left their indelible impress on modern society. The tribe was exclusive. All those not born into the tribe had no right, no welcome there, for their coming would tend to restrict the common pasturage. They would be a burden. Though the tent-dweller might be hospitable to a guest, an alien had no rights except on sufferance. If he were needy and were received, he usually became a serf or slave. And yet this exclusiveness is the germ of our patriotism, a noble trait that may ultimately, but not soon, be replaced by a cosmopolitan love for humanity. Allied to this is the personal bond that obtains in the tribe, instead of the territorial unity of the modern state. A Frenchman is such because he is born in France. An Israelite is such because he is the son of Abraham and knows his people as his blood kinsmen. This personal tie makes for peace and democracy. Building on this Jewish tribal trait, Jesus calls all men brethren because sons of a common father. His kingdom of God, likewise, is not territorial. Its citizens are bound together by the tribal bond of a common brotherhood and fatherhood. Thus the lessons so deeply impressed in the childhood of the race have a large and growing significance for the present and future. Questions for further consideration. What reasons may be given to prove that love for humanity is a virtue more useful to modern civilization than patriotism? Does the movement for universal peace find any encouragement in the teachings ascribed to Moses? On what grounds can the conquest of Canaan by the Israelites be defended? How did it differ from the taking of Tripoli by Italy, or of Puerto Rico by the United States? In the light of the oldest records, was Moses's work, in your judgment, accomplished by natural or supernatural methods? What were the chief characteristics of Moses? What place does he hold in history? 
Is modern socialism in any way a revival of the principles underlying the old tribal organization? How far did Jesus in his idea of the kingdom of God build on the old tribal idea? Subjects or further study. 1. Characteristics of the Wilderness South of Palestine. Hastings. Dictionary of the Bible 3, 505 through 6. Kent. Biblical Geography and History, 42, 43. Number 2. The Religion of Moses. Hastings. Dictionary of the Bible, Extra Volume, 631 through 634. Marty. Old Testament Religion, 36 through 71. Number 3. Compare the tribal organization and customs of the Israelites with those of the American Indian tribes of today. Publications of the Indian Association. Publications of the Mohawk Conferences. End of chapter 11, part 2. Recording by Selena Arter.